Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to The Gary and Shannon Show. The clock is ticking, tick-tock. What's the time, Mr. Clark? Little Ham says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. This is Gary. Gary Hoffman. This is Gary, and he's very, very famous on Twitter. Shannon Farron. <laughs> it's terrible! She has beautiful eyes, and her hair smells like cinnamon! Mm-hmm. Gary and Shannon. I wouldn't be anywhere else at this hour. Shannon, KFI AM 640. I am back. Gary is not yet. He's still... My boobs uh, can hang out whenever I want. Yep, he's doing that. I bet he is letting those bee cups fly in Costa Rica. You know, you see a couple monkeys, you get a little crazy. They're having a great time, by the way. I would share pictures, but they're not mine to share. We'll see if he shares them when he comes back. Neil Saavedra is with me today. Woo! Thank you so much. Let's break this thing. I mean, I know that you have seven jobs, um, so when you set aside four hours to spend with me. I really do appreciate it. No, it's this great. During the sucks l- today. <laughs> During the lunch break, I run over to Home Depot. Yeah. I help people paint their house. Yeah. Stuff like that. No, that's Dean, I think. No, no, no. This is a, this is in my heritage. It's oh. not. I, I just do it to help out. Oh, we're doing Racist Monday? Yeah. Is that what we're doing? Uh, I'm Mexican. I can do it. You can't. I cannot. No. Okay, you can do Racist Monday. You can't even smile when I make a Mexican <laughs> joke. You, Yeah. Very well played. Great to be in Singapore. Excitement in the air. That was coming from the President Trump today in Singapore, in Singapore, getting ready for this Kim Jong-un President Trump summit, a summit that could open the world's last Cold War frontier. It could bring permanent peace to end the Korean War. It could bring millions out of famine and isolation. Will it do that? Probably not. Probably not in one meeting. But it's interesting to think about this meeting after years of tension between the two countries, the nuclear tests that were ramped up, especially in the past year. We had uh, the the blitz of nuclear and missile tests just last year. They are close to that ICBM capped with a nuclear bomb that could reach the United States. So it was either, I think, in the president's mind to act militarily or to have this diplomatic meeting, which is what's going to happen. You've got a reality star and a ruthless dictator coming together for a sit-down. Isn't it weird that just a year ago you were talking about dotard and fire and fury and all hell breaking loose? There were people, I heard people in the halls here at KFI talking about the fear of war and how this could be, you know, these things can reach Alaska. And then everybody goes, well, that's nice. Okay, so... So we have salmon for a while. Well, the conversation was, should we be freaked out about this? You know, my friends that are not in the news, not paying attention to this every day. So what's this thing with North Korea? Should this be a, a legitimate concern? And that has been, I think, the goal of Kim Jong-un is to be a legitimate concern. Because for so long, we didn't let 
them have a seat at the table. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, crazy North Korea. All right, no, 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 You're, you don't get to play with the big kids. You just go over there in the corner. And they didn't like being treated that way. So they built up their nuclear program. They held military parades. They wanted a seat at the table. And they get a victory lap for getting a seat at the table with the most important and powerful leader of the free world. Which is good. You almost want to give them that first. uh, You know what's weird about these types of negotiations that more than ever before because of social media and the way everything is is not only publicized but broadcast, there is human nature is human nature. I don't care if you're the president of the free world or who you are. Human nature is when you have the spotlight on you and, and you have the weight of this, hearing the pundits go back and forth as to what is an expected win, what what really is a win if they go in and come out, what should we be expecting, um, should our hopes be up or should we you know, just uh, mums the word until they come out? And they're going to go in there, both sides, having to save face, having to make progress, and we all know if you travel that – a good deal is one that both but both people walk away pissed off a little bit. And I think both parties are probably going to walk away with a different narrative of what went on and try to spin the success in, in, in the way that they want to see it. This is, make no mistake about it, a legacy-defining deal for the president. If you couple uh, any sort of small victory about North Korea tampering down its nuclear program with how well the economy is doing right now in this country – Hate the president all you want, but that's a pretty big trophy for your mantle. Well, because now you're looking at asking yourself this question. Do you want somebody in office that talks nice and does bad things, or do you want somebody in office that says bad things but gets stuff done, does good things? And if he pulls this off, any sort of legitimate, tangible, uh, substantive uh If he pulls that off and gets a win here, then, yeah, he's probably going to be president again. Trump said Saturday that Kim has a one-time shot to make history, which makes me think that the president is going into this meeting with, okay, give me something, Kim Jong-un, or I'm not having any more meetings. He wants wants instant uh, gratification from this meeting. He says, I feel that Kim Jong-un wants to do something great for his people. Mike Pompeo, by the way, says that the United States has been fooled before. There's no doubt about it. He says many presidents previously have signed off on pieces of paper only to find that the North Koreans either didn't promise what we thought they had or actually reneged on their promises. And that's the truth of the matter. Kim Jong-un could go in there and say, we are going to get rid of our nuclear program entirely. And the president could walk away with this with this huge victory and, and also promise maybe some letting up of economic sanctions. Maybe some money for North Korea is in the deal. Maybe Kim Jong-un does want to do something good for his people and lift them out of famine. Uh, but how do we know that they have scrapped their nuclear program, even a little bit, even one-tenth of it? How do we know that? Because in the past, they've said... Things like, okay, we're on board, we'll, and, and then they go behind our back and they, they build it up again. When you do formal debates, which I've had the ple- pleasure of doing and debating an idea or thoughts or concepts, the first thing you do is define terms. Because if you say one word and it means something different to them, then you could be arguing back and forth over nothing. So yeah. that's the first thing you do. You go behind, you have a moderator, you explain the terms that you're going to be using, and you define them. That's the key to, to everything. We're looking on, on this meeting having uh, these three things, clear, specific, unequivocal statements. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's not going to – I mean, look at yeah. the two people at the meeting. Yeah. Clear, unequivocal, that's not what they do. I mean – 
It's, but the win is you've got the cool thing is you've got uh, Kim already getting a win because he's sitting down. Like you said, he's right. the crazy kid who who had a bunch of uh, black steel parts in front of him, and everybody said he's crazy, crazy. And then slowly it started forming a gun, and he's putting it together, and then all of a sudden he's got a machine gun, and everybody goes, okay, he can come to the table. He's already got a win. Hopefully that is something unto itself. And you've got uh, Trump who almost can't lose because he's already there, and all he needs is something that no one has received before. And even if Kim backs out on it, he can say, hey, I I got us this far. Maybe next time we'll get a little further. And he's got that eye on the Nobel Peace Prize. You you eradicate the North Korean nuclear threat. You're in the rank. You're in the mix. That could you imagine? No. Yes. I know. I could. It's, it's 2018. Anything goes, including Racist Monday. Uh, it's a Gary and Shannon show. Shannon and Neil in today. Thank you so much. This is a good time. This can be a great time. No, it's my absolute pleasure. I appreciate the invite. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, is there a change of culture that's happening in Nevada? Is uh, Vegas and Nevada moving away from brothels? We are going to talk to a pimp coming up at 11 o'clock. I don't know if I can call him that, so I'm going to try and call him that as much as I can leading up to 11 and then just use his actual name uh, when we talk to him. Yeah, he's a pimp, right? I would think so. I mean, we could ask him if that's acceptable. No, I think I've heard people call him a pimp before. Okay. See, this is why we get into trouble when Gary's not here. Because you and I think that we can call people pimps. And I don't think he would. You think we need like a... Like a, a grown-up? A, a, a 21... A, a, a 21 question? Point, your point, uh, contract? <laughs> yeah, that we could figure out <laughs> if we could call him a, a pimp or not. That's awesome. Does he wear a funny hat? Question oh. one. Terrible news that we all woke up to over the weekend about Anthony Bourdain committing suicide, allegedly. Um, This was just right after the news of Kate Spade last week. And it hit a lot of people very hard because Anthony Bourdain really got people to think about getting outside of their comfort zone, whether it's food or travel or or just in their backyard. And um, I think a lot of people had a very personal, intimate connection to him. His ex-wife over the weekend uh, posted a picture of their 11-year-old daughter, Ariane, performing at a concert over the weekend, just days after she hears about the death of her father. And the ex-wife writes, our little girl had her concert today. She was amazing, so strong and brave. She wore the boots you bought her. I hope you're having a good trip wherever you are. That was from She posted a picture of these uh, knee-high boots with studs, black boots, uh, and their daughter standing there in front of the microphone. He was found hanged in his hotel room Friday morning, and 61 years old. What did what did he, I mean? You're in the food world. This is this is really hit hard. Huge, like you can't imagine. Huge. Uh, chefs are a quiet bunch. Many of them. I know that we look at the culture of uh, celebrity chefs and we think, man, these people they want to be out. They want to be. They don't. Chefs. And, and Anthony Bourdain knew this uh, and became a, a voice for a lot of people that work in a, in a 
in a space that most people would think was hell. Very tight quarters, lots of hot and sharp items. You're talking that the average temperature on a line in a kitchen uh, is well over 100 degrees, no matter what the temperature is outside, only exacerbated when it's hot outside. Um, they are dealing. They are dealing with their if they're doing it right, putting their heart onto a plate, passing it out to a stranger in hopes they'll enjoy it. Sometimes it comes back. Sometimes they get criticized. Sometimes they get uh, they get crap for something a server did or what they call front of the house uh, dealt with. They are dealing with all these things and they just want to do their craft. Despite what you see on television, they get crap money. They have horrible hours. If you broke down what they made hourly, you would say it's inhumane. It's ridiculous. Chefs make many chefs make less than the servers that are serving you the food. And here a voice came, a voice that wrote uh, a column in 1999 that turned into a book. Is that it, yeah, really read this before you eat anything? That was the article yeah. that ended up uh, being Kitchen Confidential. And here this voice. That said, I get it. I know the things that you know. I've been through the things that you've been through. We'll commiserate. We'll hang together. And we'll we'll talk about the things we love about this industry and the things that we don't. And the painful things and the and ugly things. Ugly, ugly things that go on in kitchens. Um, because that's what has been passed down. This 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 art that has been passed down from mentor to mentee from, you know, and it continues to go on and on. And if you had an ugly mentor, then you learned the ugly way to teach and you, it's really fascinating what goes on, but none of these people for the most part want to be in the limelight or have it. They just want to do their craft. And here this guy came along and said, I'll take the, I'll literally take the bullet for everyone. Jane Wells last week when we were together said that she was, th- and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'm paraphrasing. She said, There's something going on with the culture, the, the change in the culture where it's more acceptable these days in the Western world to, to take your life. There was an opinion uh, column in USA Today, I believe, over the weekend. A, a woman named Kirsten Powers wrote it, and she talks about how In September of 2004, she gets a call that her father had dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 61. Uh, She was already in a rough time in in life. Her mom was battling breast cancer. She had a breakup with a boyfriend. She was not having a lot of structure in her life in terms of income. And then she gets this news, this set of news about her dad. She says she was in emotional free fall. She visited a psychiatrist. Um, She found herself having suicidal thoughts. And she says, I've thought about a lot about that period of my life following the suicides of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. She says, we learned this week that suicide rates have risen nearly 30% since 1999, making it a national crisis. And John Draper, director of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, uh, spoke to her about this. And he said, what people don't really know is that there is research that shows the media can reduce suicide. He says what creates the contagious effect is when the media focuses mostly on the suicide, the way the person killed themselves. But if the media would focus instead on coping through suicidal experiences and highlight that that story, those stories, that has a very positive effect on getting people through a suicidal crisis. If we focus more on the stories where people didn't choose that option, that they fought through it, they survived through it. 
then those are the stories we need to bring to light. And I thought that that was very powerful and it rang true to me. And it's something that I want to do um, here is it, focus more on that. Those stories should be highlighted and profiled. Yeah, when you think that there are people like Halle Berry, uh, Elton John, Drew Barrymore, who attempted suicide and survived and uh, lived fruitful lives. Or thought about it and chose not that option and, and, and fought through it and now are happier and in a good place. You know, I talked a little bit on uh, Saturday's Fork Report when I talked about Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I talked about the importance. If you were to break your arm, heaven forbid, you break your arm, you see the break, you go, oh, I broke my arm. And someone says, go to a doctor, get your arm fixed. But if you have any mental issues of any kind or emotional issues, people don't want to deal with you. They're afraid and you're afraid to talk about it. And I talked about the struggles that I had with uh, uh, with anxiety for a long time, intense anxiety. I have uh, been on the air and had massive anxiety attacks while I was on the air when I couldn't get up and leave, um, on planes, in large groups, all kinds of things. And I'm going to be 49 in July. And for the mo- and I, they started when I was in fourth grade. I didn't know what they were. Fought through it all these years, and it wasn't until about a year and a half or two years that, uh, ago that I decided I've got to do something about it. I mean, I was wrestling with, for, with it for a long time, and people don't talk about these things. They see, you know, and I have a wonderful life. I've been here at KFI for well over 20 years. Uh, I married the woman of my dreams. Uh, some, I climbed a mountain to get her and, uh, you know, have her see me. Uh, I have a beautiful boy. Um there's a lot of good things, and it's not always those things uh, that that bring happiness. Sometimes there's chemical things that we wrestle with um, that are passed down through generations. And I think until people are honest enough and bold enough to talk about it and not feel the fear of people running away in the other direction, that we're going to have this crisis. The anxiety thing, too. I, I read up on it because I, I, I get those, too. Um, oh, they suck. And, and I, they, say, they suck. They say it happens to performers a lot. Oh, my uh, God. Pitchers. In baseball, of course, anytime have them when the pressure's all the time. On. Yeah, it, it's insane. Uh, and people don't understand the the fight or flight right, that goes through right. you, the adrenaline and the non the it's 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 nonsense. Your body is telling you that that something horrible is happening when nothing's happening. Yes, and you totally. just it shows can, you how powerful the mind is. Absolutely, and how it can totally screw you. And and therefore we try and we try and uh, throw a saddle on it. Uh, you know, I, I did that. You try and throw a saddle on and go, well, you know, I'm going to learn how to breathe through it. I'm going to learn all these things. And those are great things, but sometimes it takes more. All right. Uh, Neil Savedra in with me today. Coming up next, remember that Turpin House of Horrors? We're going to talk to the sister of Louise Turpin, Gary and Shannon. Shannon, KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Neil Saavedra in with me today for the Hoffman. Well, we learned about the House of Horrors, as it was dubbed, the Turpin House, where 13 children were kept 
They were shackled. They were starving. They were living in their own excrement because they were not able to go to the bathroom. They were given one shower a year. These are all details that have trickled out of the case. A lot of adult children that looked like young children. Louise Turpin was the mother, and a lot of people wondered, well, how can a mother stand by and let her kids be abused and be one of the abusers? It just doesn't seem right. It goes against what we think about mothers and how they care for their kids. Well, Louise's sister, Elizabeth, was working on a book about her and Louise's traumatic childhood well before we found out what was going on in that Turpin household. Elizabeth Flores joins us now right here. Her book is called Sisters of Secrets. Elizabeth, thanks for your time. Yes, thanks for having me. So if you could just jump right into it and tell us, I know you can't talk about the, the case and, and about what's going on with, with your sister and the investigation, but let us let us know what went on, uh, what you can tell us uh, in your house growing up. Okay, so... In the house growing up, to the outside world, it looks very normal, which is what happens a lot of times when children are being abused. What people don't realize is people think it only happens in poverty, and that is so untrue. Um, as many know, you know, Louise's husband made almost 200000 a year. And so, and growing up, um, my grandfather was known as one of the most wealthiest men in town. Everybody knew him. And so everybody, you know, all my friends thought, wow, you know, I wish I could be you. But what they really didn't know is what was going on deep down inside. We were programmed to pretend like we were happy when we weren't. We were programmed to act one way when it was really another. And um, we knew to not open our mouth. And so I think my sister practiced that with her own children, which is very sad. Elizabeth. I'm a mom of Elizabeth, yes. uh, when you say the, 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 use the term programmed, uh, what do you mean? What what would they do to get you uh, to act uh, counter to how you were feeling? Well, um, you know, it's kind of like your abuser. I'll, I cannot stand for anybody to talk behind me. I will stop it like that. I don't let my husband get near my neck or anything from behind. My abuser, after we were abused, he would come up behind us and you could feel his breath on the back of my neck. I, can, I still can't stand that to this day. And he would feed me with all these lies. If you tell anyone um, somebody's going to end up dead or somebody's going to come take you away and you're going to go and live with strangers and you'll never see us again. And um, there's all kinds of stuff to make a child panic. Um, there was, there was, so there was so many lies fed into us. And so, we were programmed, and I remember my mom saying, just go to the school and tell them that y'all did that to each other, all the bruises and the marks on your arm. And me and my sister, Teresa, my youngest, there's three of us, there's me, Louise, and Teresa, my younger sister, we still talk about it today. We remember our mom telling us that. And we were made, when somebody asked us what that, you know, how that got there, we were made to tell that me, Louise, and Teresa did that to each other. It's so often that that history repeats itself when it comes to the way people were raised, and then you go out and you create that same environment, that same family model with with your new your new family or your new life. Uh, how has that affected you? Um, you know, when you hear details of, of Louise and and what her kids went through, did you have a struggle to not repeat that same thing in your house? Um, 
No, actually, um, that's one thing I talk about in my book, and that's one thing I want to address on here, and I try to address it in every interview. I am not a psychologist by all means, um, you know, but um, I will tell you from personal experience, when you go through something like that, you can set your mind to make it or break it, and you get to choose your path for your life. So when I was very young, I remember telling Teresa, actually, Louise had done left off and got married. There's eight years between us, and as many of you know from reading my book, Louise got married very young, very early on. So I was only eight years old when Louise got married because she was 16. So Teresa and I were talking, and I remember at the age of 11 telling Teresa, I will never be like my mother. I will do whatever it takes to be the total opposite, right or wrong, of my mother. I will never be like my grandfather. Did you and Louise ever be... have those conversations? Did she ever? Did you ever talk to her about what you guys were going through and how that, that wasn't going to happen? You know, the only conversations Louise and I had, when Louise was at home, she was very protective over me. And so she would, when she would see a couple come after me because of sexual abuse and my mom allowing it, Louise would move me, around, move me out of the way and she would tell me to go. And she would tell Peppa, I'll go. And Louise would go in my place. And that's why it's so incredibly shocking to me, because I always thought Louise would be the perfect mom, that she has allowed this for her own children. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. They bash the family. Like, how does the family not know? How do, Well, first of all, Louise lives in California, the other families all the way on the East Coast. I mean, we're on the opposite end of the United States. Second of all, the only contact we have with Louise well, besides me, the only contact the other family had with Louise over the last 22 years is by phone and um, Facebook. I understand. Uh, you know, I I understand what you're saying that there is distance there, but obviously mm-hmm. you're, you're writing a book, right? So there's mm-hmm. there there's weight of that past that you guys shared. You know that there's right. already an, a, an odd beginning. Um, uh, and one that you have uh, courageously fought back against to bring into your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but when there were signs of maybe oddities, that there wasn't a connection, that there was distant, there was none of this was a red flag at all. Not putting that on you as a, as a bad thing, but something that we can maybe all learn from uh, to keep oh. an eye on our families. Oh, yes. And I've been asked that in multiple interviews, and I will tell you the same thing I've told everyone else. First of all, um, I had, you know, went and lived with my sister at 19 years old. The first summer from my, uh, the first summer that I had went to college, the very first summer break I had, because I didn't want to go home in the same environment of abuse. I was scared. And so I asked Louise if I could come and live there. I said sometimes when I lived there, but to me, you've got to remember, I'm a 19-year-old girl that has been in abuse all my life. And to me, what Louise was demonstrating, I thought, well, maybe this is normal. Because I never witnessed her ever torturing her kids. I never witnessed her even spanking her children. I never witnessed her ever abusing them. Red flags? Yes, I've talked about it on Dr. Phil. I've talked about it on Dr. Oz. I've talked about it on multiple interviews. Elizabeth, real quick, can you hang on? We just have to take a quick break because I wanted to talk to you about the the, the odd stuff that you did exhibit when you went to stay with them, the witchcraft and all of that. Can we do that when we come back? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, Elizabeth Flores, that's who we're talking to. Louise Turpin's younger sister. She uh, wrote Sisters of Secrets. We'll continue with her when we come back. Gary and Shannon Neal sitting in today. Darkness right in front of me. Oh, it's calling out and I won't walk away. Oh, it always open up the door. 
Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Neil Saavedra in with me today, and we are talking to Elizabeth Flores, who wrote Sisters of Secrets about her childhood with Louise Turpin, uh, the woman who faces child abuse charges, her own kids, shackling, starving, torturing her own children. Elizabeth is talking with us about her book, about their childhood. And in the book, she is able to detail a bizarre encounter she had with the Turpin family uh, about a decade ago. Elizabeth, what did you uh, observe there? Yes. Um, so when I lived with them um, that summer, I observed that the children were in the rooms a lot, um, but they had plenty of toys and stuff. I noticed that they weren't allowed to come out without permission. Um, they had to ask before they went to the bathroom. Um, when she would call them down for dinner, they had to have permission before they started eating off their plate. And I thought, well, that's weird. But because of all the abuse, I thought, well, maybe that's what normal looks like also because it was different from the way I was raised up. So, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you were 19 years old. Why didn't you say something? But what they don't understand is if you've never lived in an abusive home all your life and you're that young going into another home of a trusted person and you see and the kids seem to be happy, you know, other than being, you know, they're in the rooms a lot and they are being fed and everything, you don't think like that. Now being a mom, years and years later, I see the red flag. And I really didn't even think about it until the case broke and you have all these re repressed memories. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there were so many red flags. And I was so young and didn't notice. And now that I'm a mom, just like I didn't notice the children ever running up to Louise and David and saying, Mommy, Daddy, and giving them a hug. My kids do that all the time. I never saw Louise and David ever pick up a book and read it to them. I never mm -hmm. saw them tuck them in bed. I never saw any kind of um, love between them. It was really weird. Like if I would keep the children while they went to the store or whatever, when they come back, the kids weren't, didn't seem excited at all. They didn't really react when they walked through the door. As most little children do, and the children were very young at the time, I think Jennifer was about eight, and then they only had four children, and Jonathan was number four, and he was about a year. So that was when I lived with them. About um, what you're talking about, about 10 years ago, I had moved to Texas for some family issues that was going on in my own life that I'll talk about in the book with me and my my husband. And um, he is from there. I actually met him when I lived with my sister in 1996. And um, he'd moved back home with his family because we had separated for a while and we had decided for me to come out there and try to work on the marriage so i had moved out there i lived probably about two or three hours from louise sitting on traffic um and so louise would come to my house a lot on the weekend i do remember asking her a lot why she never brought the children and she'd say well the adult children are watching them or whatever and i said well i don't really like to see them because i was never allowed to go to her house she was real funny like that she Never allowed family to come over. My well, mom was never allowed to visit. And my that father. seems odd on its face, doesn't it, Elizabeth? Right. But I'm going to go back to that in a minute and address why it didn't seem odd to us. So, so anyways, I would ask her to bring the children, and she would say, well, maybe sometime. And one time she brought three of the children, and I can't remember which three they were, but it was, I'm sorry, which three it was. I think Jennifer was one of them, but I can't remember. And, um, but I remember it being three of the girls. And, um, 
That was the only time I ever got to see any of them. They had moved at the end of 2010 to go to California for David's job. So I, I was just, I was just, uh, we're, we're running out of time. Sorry, Elizabeth, just have a, a, about a minute left. Uh, th- uh-huh. I, I was fascinated by the satanic rituals. What, what did yes. you see in that regard? Um, she had started bringing stuff like Ouija boards and stuff to my house. And I said, I don't want that in my house. And she kind of laughed. And I said, I really don't think you should have stuff like that around your children, but that's your business. And she goes, oh, we don't. We go to hotels and do that stuff. And I said, well, I don't want you bringing that in my house. And I made her leave it in the car in her trunk. Well, later on, she was telling me that she was reading books and stuff on all that stuff. And I, I, I was like, well, this is like serious stuff. Like, that's not normal. And she goes, well, she goes, it's just because I'm curious. I'm not practicing any of it or anything. I'm just curious. But at the time, I just let it go in one ear and out the other because I knew Louise would say stuff to get attention to. So I didn't even know whether to believe her that she really had those books. But I kind of did because she, I knew she, for a fact that she had the Ouija board because she tried to bring it into my home and I would not allow it. Well, Elizabeth Flores, I know that we are going to be hearing more about your book. Uh, I believe you have a program with Dr. Oz coming up and where we'll learn uh, more about uh, what you're up to. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having me. Book is Sisters of Secrets. You can get it on Amazon. Fascinating, isn't it? There's a whole wide spectrum of child rearing out there. Yeah. And personalities. And you'd think that maybe there was some mental illness, but maybe that's not what it is. We scratch the surface. And you know what's strange is when people do get into things like witchcraft, and I'm not talking about Wiccan, but... uh, A Ouija board, by the way, not witchcraft. No. But that (laughs) that concept of trying to, the Ouija board, the, the original Ouija board, not the, you know board game for children uh, but th- uh, when they do get into those things a lot of it has to do with trying to control the oh, world around them which in a world where you're out of control and you feel like people are doing things to you you want to be able to control those people because they're hurting you fascinating so that they- and maybe that that's why she wanted to have control over her kids yeah very interesting all right coming up next we've got a culture change potentially in nevada no more brothels we'll get to the bottom of it right here on gary and shannon <laughs> Blake, that was not the music I asked for. There it is. Thank you. <laughs> Gary and Shannon. Don't look at me like that, Neil. Is this... Wait, isn't this your ringtone? No, it is not. The only, calls? the only place in America where you can legally pay someone for sex is in the great state of Nevada. Built on gaming, liquor, girls, and mining, according to Dennis Hoff, who runs a very famous brothel there, as you all know. Well, it seems like there may be a a culture shift occurring. There's a coalition of religious groups and anti-sex trafficking activists that has launched a referendum to ban brothels in two of the seven Nevada counties where they are legally operating. Uh, Dennis Hoff joins us now to talk about this. Dennis, is there a shift occurring, or is this a bunch of baloney? It's a bunch of baloney. It's all politically driven by the person I'm running against. When I decided to run for office, you know, Roger Stone, who just came out to Pahrump to support me, calls me the Trump of Pahrump. 
said, Dennis, look out. This is what they're going to do, and they're doing exactly what he said. It's politically motivated. There's no question about it, and the people of Nevada are not going to stand for it. We're, our state is built on freedom. They're taking away one of their freedoms. Dennis, I, I you know, I had the the pleasure of meeting you back in 97, I think, when KFI went out to broadcast from the Bunny Ranch. Uh, well, long, that's history. Yeah, long time ago. And uh, you're an affable guy. You're fun to talk to. You're incredibly hospitable. And you don't shy away from cameras or microphones. If this, right. if, if, if there was a move, if there was a movement taking place, a real legitimate one, not a political one, would you go quietly or would you fight that too? Oh, I'd fight it to the end because we've got it right. Las Vegas and Reno that have that don't have legal prostitution have got the problem. The mayor says we got 3,000 active pimps working Vegas. The sheriff says 35,000 hookers are coming in there robbing people, spreading diseases. The rest of the state's got it right. And I think if it goes to a vote, uh, the, the people here in Nevada are going to say no. We'll, we'll leave it alone. It's a big money income earner. They understand prohibition didn't work with liquor. It didn't work with the numbers racket. California Lotto is evidenced by that. And it didn't work with weed, and it's not going to work with sex. Thank you for settling the question I had in my head, whether I could say pimp, uh, pimps and hookers to you. I didn't know if I had to, like, class oh, it yeah. up a little bit or, or what, no, what, ladies you know, of the night. Yeah. I don't know. No, the way, I, the way I deal with it, if it's Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or one of my buddies calling me a pimp, well, then we fight. Uh, if it's uh, Snoop Dogg or Little John, it's a term of endearment. Dennis, why would you want to run for office? It's, it's been a mistake, to be honest with you, but the, the reality is uh, Nevada is, is turning in a way that none of us Nevadans like. Uh, they passed a giant tax uh, increase, $1.4 billion dollars. I was with Tucker Carlson in D.C. and having dinner, and Tucker says, we'll do something about it, Dennis. Don't just complain. And and here I am. But fortunately, uh, you know, I, I'm going to win this tomorrow, uh, and it's going to be a huge blow to the establishment. Then we're going to go to work on fighting this uh, petition and the petitioners. Do you uh, Did it play into your decision at all when you look around at the environment of 2018 and, and this, this PC culture that has just uh, blown up? And uh, I was listening. Actually, here's an example. I was listening to a podcast over the weekend and there was a disclaimer. It's a podcast where people tell stories about their life. And there was a disclaimer in the podcast that said, coming up in this story, there's going to be some minor forms of sexual harassment. Uh, We thought we should we we should let you know. And the story was about a little boy on the schoolyard that would run up to girls and fake hump them. Okay. And that got a sexual harassment disclaimer warning. So that's what I'm talking about when PC run amok. Are you worried that your bread and butter is under attack, even in a state of Nevada, and that that attack is going to be unrelenting just the the way the culture's moving? I, I'm not, because all the things that they, they say about prostitution are true. The drugs, uh, pimps, uh, money laundering, all the crazy sexually transmitted diseases in the illegal world. But my opponents are trying to use what happens in the illegal world and paint that same brush on the legal world, which is entirely different. Like, I've got a working girl sitting next to me here uh, that would love to explain it all to you if you want to hear it. Sure. All right. This is Paris. She's at the Love Ranch. The Love Ranch was made famous by Lamar Odom being stupid here. (laughs) Wow, that really Uh, narrows it down. It reminds me of Herbal Viagra, I believe. Good afternoon. Hi, Paris. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Excellent. What do you think about this whole thing? Um, well, I've lived in um, Lyon County. I grew up in Lyon County, which is where um, Dennis, uh, the Bunny Ranch is at, and, and a couple more brothels. And I work here in Nye County, which is where uh, the Love Ranch is. And um, so I've been in Nevada for most of my life, and I just think that it's kind of a joke, and they don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to fighting us. Uh, I'm very vocal about it on social media, especially Twitter, and uh, the attorney for these people has blocked all of us. <laughs> Paris, uh, in addition to um, the religious groups, which are obvious, they're, they're always going to be there and they're always going to be against this type of thing. But the anti-sex mm-hmm. traf- uh, trafficking folks, um, what do you think uh, a legal brothel does to squelch sex trafficking or does it? I don't think that, I mean, I think that the what they're trying to spread is wrong as far as that goes, because I, it's, it's the best kind of of, of, of anything is really to have something regulated and especially when it comes to the sex industry and i think that it doesn't contribute to anything to do with sex trafficking because the girls that are here are here because they want to be here if you, you can go and talk to any of the girls at any of our brothels and they will tell you and you can see the living conditions that we're in we're not we're not poor, abused, drug addicts and beaten and all this stuff. We don't allow Well, I think here. part of the reason people think that way is because we got a glimpse inside the Playboy Mansion and the, and, and, and the sheets weren't washed and the carpeting was from the 70s. And so people have that idea about uh, brothels as well, I'm sure. Right. Well, I mean, like here at our house, we have, we have a beautiful house. We have hardwood floors. I have a jetted bathtub. I, have, I mean, I have a beautiful room. I love my room. I love being here, and I love the business that I do. And it's a shame that people are trying to shut us down and, and silence our voices as sex workers because we're very relevant in what we say, and they're just kind of trying to pass it off that that we're uh, brainwashed and we don't know what we're talking about. So a lot of people are kind of just like sil- trying to silence us. Well, I'm not going to shut up. Can I ask one personal question before we let you go? Absolutely. What? Um, I'm just curious. What age do you stop what what you're doing, and then what do you do after? Like, what's the plan? Well, I figure that um, the age that I stop, well, I, I guess I'll just wake up one day and know. I'm, um, but as far as what we do after, we all have a plan. We all go. I mean, there's a huge, I'm not going to say all of us, but there's a huge percentage of us, including myself, that are going to school so that I have a plan after and I'm saving money. And I, I mean, I'll be very well off by the time I leave here. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. I, like, I like it when we have a plan for the future. Blake, Blake is gonna Blake's gonna go into sports radio. That's his plan for the future. We're gonna get him out of his parents' house, and then he's gonna. You know, I thought the personal question you were gonna ask her was about the chlorine she uses in that jet bathtub, but no. I, she, you know, I bet they don't use chlorine because that can be harsh on the skin. There's a much milder uh, cleaning agent for for hot tubs, Neil. I thought oh, you wouldn't yeah. know that. Paris, thank you so much. Appreciate it, thank and uh, Dennis. I'll have you back to Dennis. Okay, thanks. Shannon, I want you to come up here and work for two weeks so you can tell everybody what it's like. <laughs> uh, Dennis, I've aged out of that game. Uh, but oh, no, I, I'll be a, I could be a greeter. Do you have a greeter, like a Walmart? Well, what about – there you go. Well, okay. What about Gary? Should I give him a booty Oh, pass? please you know, do. It's like, it's, it's like a AAA card. You only need it for emergencies. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. It's have a good fun. day. That took a turn. Oh, I would love to see Gary in there. Gary. If you want, if we have time when we come back, if you want, I can describe exactly what those places look like. I think we should, and I think we should unpack that. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Gary and Shannon with Neil Saavedra. And-
Shannon, KFI AM 640. Hey, join us Friday. Exciting news to tell you about. We are going to be out at the Slide Bar for a News and Brews event. We will be broadcasting live from the Slide Bar in Fullerton, 10 a.m. There's going to be $5 pints from breweries from Orange County. It is going to be a great time, and uh, we're just, we're... What we're doing is we're hitching a ride with Petros and Money in their summer tour is what we're really doing. But shh, don't tell them. You know, A.J. Popoff uh, from Lit owns uh, part of it. Yes, because whenever we broadcast from there, we play Lit music. Uh, there is a drink called My Own Worst Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more. That you have to have. Well, named after their song. But it's, uh, it's a great drink. What's in it? I, w- I won't tell you because oh, you'll have to guess. It's not like absinthe or anything. No, you'll have to guess okay. because it, it does have a, a secret ingredient, but it's a incredibly tasty. And AJ has actually made one for me in the past. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so we sat down and had a drink together. We will be out there, Slide Bar, Fullerton, be there Friday. Good times. Uh, we are back to the story that we would never be doing if Gary Hoffman was sitting here, but he's not. He'll be back, by the way, later on the week. But we were talking about this brothel ban in Nevada, and does it have legs or not? And Dennis Hoff and Paris joined us, uh, and that conversation did take a turn, didn't it? And and furthermore, City of Lights. Dennis Hoff running for office? Well, I guess we're doing that now in 2018. If if you're going to have a pimp run for office, I would imagine it would be in Nevada. Right, but the, the first part of that sentence, a pimp running for office, that was my my not issue with it, but my wonderment. Yes, but horses. once you comma mm-hmm. in Nevada, then it, it kind of clears up the first part. So tell me about your story in the brothel. I'm starting to feel a little self-conscious like I'm – you remember the bad soap okay, operas? Did Dennis ask you to be a hooker? No. He but asked the, me to be a hooker, so – I think all the self. Well, you should be flattered. Be he said he essentially. You look at it bad. He you you act like he said, "Hey, be a hooker." What he's saying is, "Hey, you're good looking enough to make some cash." Uh, so, no. way uh, you hear it, I think, is important. But what I'm feeling a little self conscious about is you keep referencing Gary, and I feel like I'm Gary's evil twin now because I think you two are very different. We're actually similar, but are different. Yeah. Anywho, uh, firstly, I've been to the Bunny Ranch uh, for uh, professionally for the show. I don't want to talk about your professional visit. No, I went. At, I went. Uh, that was back maybe '97 or something when Wayne Resnick was doing evenings and he broadcast from there. So I was there to document it. I camera and I was in promotions for the for KFI. You come up uh, to to get the picture. Do you know when schools get too big and they don't have the buildings anymore, they get those outbuildings yes. that that are like double wides or yes. something? That's what it is. It's a series of those that are connected, okay. and then there's some that are in the back. But it's those – it's raised up, so you're on a raised floor mm-hmm. foundation, and there's all of these – you know, portable units is what they are. And there's a gate outside and there's a camera and they, when you walk up to it, you say your name or whatever, they, they open it up, they buzz you in, you walk in and you come into the living room area. It has a bar in the back and you, there, all the ladies of the night are sitting on couches, chairs, but they, they ring a bell. The madam rings a bell and all of the women that are not, currently engaged in activities come out and stand there 
And they line up. And the Johns come and look them over and say, I'll take this one or I'll take that one. And then they're handed a menu. The menu, if you ever get your hands on one, is I've been to Thailand. Crazy. I know what goes on. Oh, it's, I'm worldly. I've been there. I've seen it. <laughs> Lady boys you know, for I, everyone. I heard, too, that uh, limo drivers uh, will get 40% of the take if they bring somebody out to these brothels. Oh, absolutely. And that's how, I mean, 40, 30, 40% is a huge amount of money, right? And that's how telling it is that once the guys get in the door, they're going to buy something off the menu. Like, oh, yeah. You can just get them in the door. They were... Um, that's basically the, the house. I think it's 50-50. So that's basically the house saying, hey, you can take the majority of our portion if you, if you bring them in. Yeah. Um, they have a kitchen in the back where they, where they all gather. I don't want to talk about a kitchen. I ate there. The, nope. Get, at, nope. Guess what I ate? Nope. Guess what I ate? Not, gonna, it, it was not home- clicking. Not guess, clicking. Guess what I guess what I ate? Hey, ham- Gary's gone. Ha- all right. You're playing the game. Okay, a hamburger. No, a tuna casserole. I did. It was a homemade tuna casserole. They all come out and they enjoy it and they go back in. They all have their separate rooms in the in their room. I think they had showers in there. Some of the rooms have hot tubs. And can we get Gary back? And you walk down the halls. Blake, can you call? You Gary walk down the halls. You can go into the custom rooms and tell I'm him scratching to take himself. Uh, there was a woman there that was a mother. Need him back, Steph. Um, a mother and a, and a wife. I don't want to talk about mothers and or she was kitchens. Working. I don't want to talk about and mothers were, or kitchens. And we then just rubbing it all over ourselves. There was a dominatrix. Gary and Shannon. KFI. It was actually rather nice. I can pack Amy, nuts in my mouth. Amy like a King's got the. Oh Lord, have mercy. Shannon, Neil Savedra hanging out with me today while President Trump and his team, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, have uh, projected confidence, I guess you could say. Tomorrow is the big day. Tomorrow is the big summit in Singapore with Kim Jong-un, and they believe that they will have some movement from Kim Jong-un, saying that the United States has been fooled before, but we will not repeat past missteps in negotiating with North Korea. I'm, I'm anxious to see what happens. I don't know if a lot's going to happen. I think that they're going to leave the meeting with, with their own narrative of victory, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I can't help but picturing both of them just staring at each other's hairlines. I want to know, y- yeah, I, I'd like to see the body language uh, in their interaction, and I'd also like to know what, what is consumed, what is eaten. The body language is going to look like a tailgating party because they're both a little, you know, doughy. And not you know what, neither of them are very stately do, looking. We, you know what we don't do on this show? We don't do fat shaming. So I can. You have, I you can weight. talk about Mexicans and I can talk about being doughy. Hey, fatty. Hey, listen to this. <laughs> Right now, firefighters in Santa Monica have a chore. There is a Honda sedan that is dangling from the fourth level of a parking structure just east of 3rd Street Promenade. This is on 4th Street. Uh, The car is pretty much out of the 
structure and hanging off. It looks like it just maybe one side of the rear is all that's left in that parking structure. It's like a movie. It is like yeah. a movie. Um, and so they've got, they're trying to use their straps to hoist it up, and it just looks like a situation. They did say that whoever was in the car got out safely. It looks like they tried to get the car that's the level below it wedged out a little bit, almost to kind of protect the, the car that's dangling from falling. So so maybe take out a second car on its way down? Yeah, I don't know what the thought process was on that, but it looks like maybe the, the car that's below it is just maybe a third out. So did somebody the hit the gas the when they were... That must be it. They must have meant to hit the brake and they hit the gas or something like that. Yeah. But that's a, that's a scene, and that, that's a busy area. Uh, CHP officers, by the way, have a mystery on their hands involving I-8 in El Cajon. Somebody, they say, is purposefully leaving concrete blocks, parking stops, and other debris on the highway there. And it's causing a lot of late-night crashes. This is in an unincorporated area of El Cajon near uh, Alpine. You know, this, strangely enough, uh, there was a small rash of these when I was a kid. Uh, oh, on, really? a, on a small road in Ventura County, and th- some wingnut would take the parking stops that you see at grocery stores or parking lots, whatever that your tires hit up against to stop you at the you know in, in your parking space, and they would take those and they'd lay them across roads, very dark roads in unincorporated areas where there were no lights, uh, street lights because unincorporated doesn't have uh, usually doesn't have a lot of those things and have street lights and. And things right. like that, and they'd put them out in the center, and you'd come railing through there, and it would take out your front axle. Reports of these suspicious accidents on I-8 first started in January and February. Landscaping blocks lying on the I-8 westbound east of Dunbar Lane. There was a series of crashes that these things caused on four separate occasions. Each time the accidents happened between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And it's all the same kind of blocks that are found in the traffic lane. So the CHP comes out and says, hey, uh, we're getting a number of these crashes. If you know somebody who's involved in this, turn them in. We need help finding this guy or girl. Now, what's interesting is that's not far from... uh... Los Coches Creek Middle School. I wonder if it's a bunch of uh, youngins. Little monsters? So, Not putting that on anybody, but I, I just can't imagine anybody you know what we don't whose do brain on is this totally... Program oh, either, boy, is we really? Don't children shame. You know what you don't do? What? Any investigative reporting <gasps> where you dig deeper, where you look for the clues, where you investigate, Shannon uh, no, Farron. That's, that's a good call right there. I'm just saying that if you because look at that... there. It doesn't seem. I mean, nobody smart is doing it, but I'd I'd rather it be somebody whose brain is is not formed yet True. than somebody going out there. You know. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That would be uh, one of the better case scenarios. But as soon as the CHP and said the CHP came out and said we need help finding this person, the the incident stopped. But over the weekend there was another one early morning accident and they say it was just before 12:30 when they got multiple calls about vehicles hitting a concrete object on that same stretch of I8 uh when they showed up on the scene there was about 10 cars that had bent wheels flat tires they'd hit a concrete parking stop um, four concrete parking stops about 60 pounds apiece and three cinder blocks were also found nearby hey did we ever uh, I, to your recollection did we ever find out about that 
30-pound rock no. or concrete that came over the overpass. No, and at the 210, the, yeah, 134. And killed that no. guy, that dad. But I got to believe it's some idiot walking up there. Well, and the thing with that bridge, too, is it has um, an extended fence on it. Yeah. So it's really, it would be really hard to get that thing over. Yeah, they said it was some 30 pounds. So these type these types of crimes and uh, crimes of stupidity, you know, shooting out A-holery. windshield. Yeah, I it, it, I just feel like you've got to you've got to pull some kid apart on publicly, and uh, that does these types of things because they're never they're not going to get better. I did stupid things too, but didn't put didn't thirty pound anyone. rocks through. Yeah. As far as you know, yeah. Right. right, as far as I know, you look nice today. You know, oh, this old thing? Uh-huh. I only wear this when I don't care what I look like. Mm-hmm. It's a bird shirt, and it's beautiful. Are those cranes? Here's the deal. Or, pe- or pelicans. I take it very seriously when I'm filling in for the Hoff. And if I have to wear a bird shirt to do mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. I will. Uh, does that mean you're going to go to a restaurant after we're done, listen for crude conversation, and then... Over my pomegranate margarita? Across the guys that engage in it? I would, I would. That'd be a where, different thing that went down if you if you did that versus Hoffman doing that. Hoffman and I are similar in what bothers us uh-huh. and what affects us. How I deal with it may be a little different. D- different uh, methods of enforcement, shall we say? Yeah, but I probably would have started with the same line as he did. Do you guys have daughters? Coming up next, we are going to get into this mystery man, an Air Force officer disappears in 1983 and has now been found living in California. His story when we come back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. We've got Neil Saavedra in here today. Gary and Shannon, a couple updates on some things happening Locally, that sedan that was dangling from the fourth level of the parking structure near 3rd Street Promenade has been towed back inside the garage. Firefighters did some nice quick work on that thing. No injuries reported. That could have been much worse. That could have been car into busy 4th Street in Santa Monica. Um, Also, there was a a shooting in Lake Forest. Person shot in the arm during an altercation. Uh, This is near El Toro Road and Muirlands Boulevard in Lake Forest. Uh, Sheriff's officials are said to be looking for the suspect. Several schools in the area are on lockdown as a precaution. The suspect described as a thin man, about 5'8", wearing a red hat. Uh, Also, an update from Singapore. Kim Jong-un has brought his own toilet to the summit. I'm not making this up. And Dennis Rodman is there. Well, you've talked about hovering, so maybe he just doesn't want to deal with that. The public toilets. Yeah, but that is odd when you think about people bringing – I mean, you know, people bring their own pillow places. Okay. But your own toilet? Okay, I get it. But we don't do it, not because we wouldn't want to, but because it's inconvenient. But if you're like this rich little guy who can make it happen, wouldn't you? Yeah. See? My grandparents had a great toilet. Uh, It had a, a cushion on the top of it. It was like a cushion toilet seat. Oh, and then when you sit on it, it kind of goes. Poof. Yeah. It, the air kind of. Yeah. I remember. You don't those. see those anymore. No. Do you think he's got a cushion on his seat? Uh, I think his seat is probably made out of. You know, people that live in his country. They wow. They sit there, 
and he pokes them in the ear and they flush. You know what? I, w- a, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. That was really dark. He likes to hear their moans. And I appreciate you being here today because I, I don't get that stuff from Hoffman. Oh, you know, he's, toilets made of people and the like. little something I'm going to tell you about Hoffman. He's thinking it. Oh, I know. But it, it will never be vocalized. It's always the quiet ones. Mm-hmm. That's why I let it out. It's a slow burn. It's like those petrol places you pass and they're burning at the top so they don't explode. It's me. January 17th, 1984. The Albuquerque Journal headline said this. Kirtland launch launches search for officer missing five months. That was 1984. And the officer they were talking about was Captain William Howard Hughes Jr., it's interesting that a William Howard Hughes Jr. would be elusive, isn't it? Well, and that, that he went into the Air Force. Yeah. It's like he was meant to. He, he had to. There was no way he was not getting in the Air Force. But he didn't want to be in there. He said he apparently he said that he was depressed about being in the Air Force and just deserted, took on a different name. Different identity, Barry O'Byrne. And he's been living in California. He did he, he did desert in 1983. At the time, he was 31 years old. He was an, uh, assigned to the Kirtland-based Air Force Operation Test and Evaluation Center. He had been there since 81. He was working on highly classified operations involving NATO's command, control, and communication surveillance systems. Um, he had top-secret clearance, but none that could compromise national security. We'll call it the Jared Kushner secret clearance. You know what's interesting is technically we the Cold War was going on during that time. I wonder if the if a Cold War has similar consequences to desertion as regular wartime, which are s- severe to desert during wartime. Yeah, I'm not sure. The charges are unclear. He's been found, as I said, uh, living in California, um, but but we don't know really. What's going to happen? And that that would be interesting to to find out the difference. I know they're very different in the way they're fought and and so on. But I'm just curious. I'm looking at a picture of him then and a picture of him now. You're going to go to all the trouble to change your name. Maybe maybe change your hairstyle. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. Uh, during the the time that he was missing, a couple of years after he was declared missing, there were a lot of conversations about. Well, maybe he was abducted or maybe he defected to the Soviets. There was a journalist who wrote a piece published in the L.A. Times in 1986 that referred to his apparent defection to the Soviet Union. This was during the time when there were suspicions that the Challenger disaster and the explosion of a French rocket may be due to Soviet sabotage. He wrote at the time, this journalist, he is worth his weight in gold to the Russians in terms of future Star Wars if we have them. There's nothing that shows, there's no evidence that shows that he actually gave up any classified information in any way, shape, or form. It is interesting to note that uh, he was last seen in the summer of 1983 when he he withdrew more than $28,000 in Albuquerque, and that was after returning from a two-week vacation in Europe. Something clicked in Europe. Something hit him, you know, freedom-wise, or something hit or moved him. He was a single guy. Something jarred him and made him come back and say, nah, not going to do it. I'm going to take out every cent I can 
and become someone else. When people go missing like this, too, and, you know, they resurface, you just wonder about the family. Did the family know? Does he have any family? What are the connections? Yeah. Think about what it would take. Um, to go missing. Yeah. So he was, uh, you know, 31, 33, something like that. Think of what it would take for you at that age to disappear. Right. Successfully. The, yeah. The amount of people. And even then in 1983 technology uh, to forge passports and documents, much easier in 1983. But as you get further along, then stories have to pan out and more details have to come forth. And this is one of the things that actually nailed him. Coming up next, it is noon, so we will be telling you everything everyone's talking about everywhere, right here on Gary and Shannon. Set me free. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, a couple housekeeping matters here. Uh, Angel wrote to us on Facebook, padded toilet seats are very unhygienic, very bad, never use one. I pulled off the road to save your bottom, FYI. Susie wrote to us and she says, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, Neil Saavedra is all about food. And here you have him talking about brothels in Nevada. That is true. What are you making over there? I'm sorry? What's going on? It's 12.05. It's oh, is it at lunchtime? Yeah. Okay, cool. Dennis Rodman, is is that a cocktail you're mixing? It's, it's 12.05. <laughs> Dennis Rodman is in Singapore. Yeah, he's there. Who knows if he'll be seated at the table for the summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Oh, thank you. That looks delicious. This is a bad idea. There was a bunch of reporters that swarmed him at the airport, and he says, I'm just happy to be part of the historic summit. I I think I brought a lot of awareness to people around the world. Of course, he's boasted about how he uh, is friends with both of the world leaders. He's great friendships with them. And Kim Jong-un, yes, brought his own toilet to the summit. We'll be getting into all that coming up at 1230. Or maybe not. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. A murder investigation is underway in San Bernardino. A woman's body was found in a parking lot wrapped in a tarp alongside what appeared to be a makeshift coffin. We know her name, Marlene Santellen, 34 years old, found on the ground wrapped in a blue tarp next to a plywood box that was leaning up against a chain link fence. And her family had uh, had worried, and for about 11 days she had been missing. She's a mother of three girls. The youngest are just two months old. The youngest is just two months old. The police said that the death was being investigated as, as suspicious, and I couldn't help but go, uh, no crap, duh. yeah. No crap. So body wrapped in a tarp, leaning up against a chain link fence next to a yeah. makeshift coffin. Right. Something is amiss. Yeah. It, I mean, obviously somebody else was involved. It reminds me of that, the the murder in Coronado, right, at the mansion that they said uh, wasn't, yeah. wasn't suspicious. Oh, okay. She's naked. She's tied up and she's hanging from a balcony. Her hands tied up behind her back. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Vince Vaughn was in the news. That was the mug shot that went around the world today. Hey, this might be a good time to here, just uh, clean the glasses. We, okay. What is this? Go ahead, take a take a poll. Okay. Mm. 
Oh, my gosh. That's strong. It's a pomegranate margarita. Oh, how funny. Well, hey, Hoffman's not here. I've you got do the, take it seriously. I've got the bird shirt. We've got the pomegranate margarita. You know what? We need to take a picture of you in the bird shirt with the pomegranate margarita. Now, all i got to say is that Hold on. If, let me get it here. If Nick... And that 14-year-old running the board. I call them the kids. Ca- cause any problems. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to want to bang some skulls. Let me see if I can get this Instagram thing working. Okay, hold on. Mm. This is happening on radio. Yeah, sorry. They'll wait. Uh, this it. will be you didn't even up. have the shutter sound up. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this will be up uh, at Gary and Shannon on Instagram. Oh, that's got to I just clicked that little share button, right, guys? That looks delicious. Yeah, did you write a caption first? No. Oh. Mm. Failure. Just enjoy. If I get handsome and or funny, then stop drinking. Okay. Uh, Vince Vaughn, arrested on suspicion of DUI. This was at a checkpoint in Manhattan Beach. I know that checkpoint. That's a pretty popular checkpoint. Uh, 48 years old. He's arrested about 1230 uh, on Sunday. He had somebody with him. They were detained at the checkpoint. But, but he this was- is great. Listen, his passenger was arrested as well on suspicion of public intoxication and resisting arrest. Do, aren't you curious as hell yeah. as to who that person is and or was? That, that's what they call a ride or die friend. You know, you get popped for DUI and your friend resists. Do, 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 hey, 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 off, officer, tough guy. Do you, do you, do you know who they, ever see swingers? Ever see, ever see old school? Ever, ah, you, that's, hurting, that's hurting my hands. That's hurting my hands. And then he's in the back of the car. Or maybe he, he did an earmuffs reference, you know, from yeah, old earmuffs. school. You know, and then he called the cop whatever he wanted to call him. Top Gun 2, we've talked about it on the program quite a bit because I'm excited for it. Val Kilmer has signed up to be part of this venture. He will be returning as Iceman. Tom Cruise, obviously, returning as well. I bet that they play dueling professor, not professors, but uh, instructors. Dueling instructors. They each have their own team of pilots and, and maybe Mavericks teaching them some stuff that, that, that Val, Kim, Val Kilmer thinks is dangerous. Yeah. Because I don't like you. You know why I don't like you? Because you're dangerous. <laughs> the teeth, think... you got to do the... <laughs> they did the teeth, teeth clacking. Now, are, do you think he's going to slim down for this? You know, he's been a yo-yoer. Did he have health problems? I'm not sure, but at last time I saw him, he was uh, he was on the bigger side. He was on the bigger side. Let's just say you don't want to see him in in jeans and no shirt. But maybe that's playing part. Volleyball. Maybe that's part of Iceman's choices. Or 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 how about this? Maverick and Iceman sworn enemies. Iceman is in trouble. Maverick hears about this. He's fat. He's out of shape. He's bloated. He doesn't have anything to do. So Maverick drives to him on his motorcycle as the sun is going down to help him like he drove to kelly mcgillis Uh and he helps him he brings him back into the fold and they both become instructors together and then they become friends and he teaches them about the danger zone all right do they share a cockpit with each other no you guys they do not share. come on and you say it dirty this is hey 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 just because Hoffman's not here doesn't mean you can talk. You got one in the front, one mouth. in the back. No. Jeez. Although that is a common theme uh, when he, when you talk about Top Gun conspiracies, that is true. What is you, uh, that? That it's all about um, gay men. It's it all, is. Yeah, Google. It's worth a Google. Never heard of it. Uh, we do have a special guest coming up.
in the one o'clock hour. I don't even think I told you about this yet, Neil. Tim Conway is going to join us because there's a little bit of controversy over Justify's emergence as the only undefeated Triple Crown champion, of course, after Seattle slew. Uh, it was a great feel-good story, and then yesterday it devolved into complete controversy about maybe Justify's stable mate acting as an offensive lineman. We're going to get into it with Conway, and I think he'll defend Justify to the death. IHOP is in the news again. We found out what the B stands for. Last week, we told you IHOP was going to change its name to IHOB. Um, that, it was just a publicity stunt what is what it was. But we found out what the B stands for. We opined last week that maybe it was breakfast, maybe it was bacon. Breakfast made the most sense, but but it cuts out half of their... Yeah, the tilapia. The yeah, tilapia that, that they no sell for dinner. But pancakes already cuts out half of what they sell, too. It's true, but when you go to IHOP and you don't get the pancakes, you leave feeling like a failure. Like something went wrong. You're un... Uh, Satisfied? Yeah, unsatisfied. Unsated? That's what I was going to go. And I didn't want to use the other word. Satiated? Mm-hmm. Why? They're both legitimate. With pancakes? Okay. Satiated I can see that. and sated are both. I can see that. Coming up next, road rage takes on a whole new level. You ever get into a uh, road rage? What do you Altercation? Think? I think yes. We'll do that story too when we come back. Did I say what the B stood for? It uh for Brazier, right? I the International House of no. Braziers. No. And they're going to everything no. is too Burgers. They're the- trying to expand their whole lunch dinner menu, the tilapia and the burgers. And sell burgers. But they're not really changing their name. It's just, it's all... Of course you can't. You know what it costs to change your name and to go through a rebranding? It would be ridiculous. Coming up next, Neil gets into a road rage altercation. On the air. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. We're not fighting today. And Swamp Watch. The swamp is so full today, it's insane. And then we're going to fight to the death whoever can get out of the swamp between me and... No? Can you cut his mic? Thank you. Gary and Shannon, Neil Savedra in. This picture of you as Gary Hoffman on Instagram is is very popular. Susie writes, I haven't laughed so much or shaken my head so much as I have listening to you two this morning. (laughs) People want the uh, recipe, by the way, for your pomegranate margarita. Uh, two ounces of of tequila, white tequila, and this will make four drinks. Two ounces of white tequila, uh, or four ounces, rather, of white tequila. Two ounces of um, triple sec. I didn't use triple sec. I use Cointreau. And then uh, you want half cup of pomegranate juice and a squeeze of a lemon, and you're golden. Very good. You should do a, a food show. Been thinking about it. I just don't think it'll take. You don't know what to name it. Yeah, it's like uh, what are you? Uh, uh, spoon time. Chat. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it doesn't seem right. like. I don't think it would take on off, but uh, maybe. I'm gonna spitball it. Yeah, never know. I had this idea for a uh, a thing that would help men when they use the. Uh, I'll tell you about it during the break, but it might be something we could maybe get off the ground. Spoon time. Two drivers got into an argument, and it made the news. What did they have to do to each other to make the news, you ask? 
Well, one of the drivers, uh, Henry Weaver, allegedly uh, pooped on the man that he got into the road rage argument with. The Pennsylvania State Police said it this way. The accused and the victim got into a road rage argument, leading the accused to defecate on the victim. It happened about 845 Friday night. And we don't know what the fight was about. I'm trying to think. Let's see. Uh, You get up, you have breakfast, you've got lunch. At 845, you probably had dinner. You might be uh, locked and loaded at 845. You might be, uh, what the kids say, ready to go. You got into a road rage argument. No, I have. Listen, I'm not a young kid anymore, so I don't have any tolerance for road rage. I don't. I just, you suck it up. There's no reason to do that when you're driving a 5,000-ton vehicle. Yeah. Um, 5,000-pound vehicle, rather. You, you, there's no need. To but in that. your youth. But in, in my youth, um, I've done things that were less than smart. And in my youth, I had a, a little more uh, quicker to react, slower to calm be down, di- diplomatic. Mm-hmm. I'm much more diplomatic these days. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been in situations before, but I've had friends that had guns pulled out on them, and all. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it at all. But I, I would be lying if I said that I'd never been in an altercation at the side of a road. Quick gas go around here, Blake, if you will. I'm just thinking about everybody in the building and who's the most likely to get into a road rage argument where it escalates like this did. I mean, I'm not going to say defecation. That's pretty rough. That's a that's a very specific type of anger, I think. Blake, what do you think? Like this. Be frank. You're in a safe space. I've never seen it, Mm -hmm. but I've heard Chris Little can get get boiling a little bit. But I, I, I just feel like Handel would be the one who would want to humil- humiliate someone that much. Okay. Nick? Is not in the room. Okay. Amy? Well, I was I was going to say Neil, but I think uh, Handel, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. throw my poop. Well, I don't think Handel would either, but I just he think He would as far if it as... was around 9.05 <laughs> on a, 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 in the morning. Uh, well, what about you, Neil? Uh, suits might fling poo at you, but it wouldn't be human. Okay. All right. Um, I am going to go 110% and twice on Sunday with Blake's initial idea of Chris Little. In fact, I think (laughs) Chris Little started taking what he refers to as the urine train uh, because of a road rage incident that none of us know about. Like, I think there was an incident, and that's when he started taking the train. I've long held this belief. Yeah, he does have he a... He goes from zero to 120 in a heartbeat. And I do, too. I recognize that. In, in a, it, when we uh, have altercations, they escalate very quickly. You've actually seen he and I go from zero to 60 I did, with each other before. I did see that. That was fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. You had to even take that one behind closed doors. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good time. You don't want to be where any cameras can capture anything sometimes. All right, coming up next, we have a very full Swamp Watch. We're getting all the details out of Singapore, and they are incredible. Kim Jong-un bringing his own toilet, as well as his own bulletproof limousine in a plane. This is a next level of wealth. What does wealth look like when you have all the wealth in one country? We're going to tell you all about it. That's coming up next. Gary and Shannon, Neil Saavedra in for Hoffman today, who will, will be back this week. 
drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Gary and Shannon. Hey, join us on Friday. We will be doing our news and brews out at the slide bar in Fullerton, 10 a.m. to 2. Be there. It's going to be $5 pints from breweries in Orange County. Craft beer, $5 craft beer pints. It is going to be delicious and so much fun. We always have a blast when we broadcast from the slide bar. So come join us for lunch and cocktails and fun. Well, the president is in Singapore for the summit that seems like it will be. For a while there, we didn't know if it would be. Uh, I, I said weeks ago, we're not going to know if this June 12th summit happens until June 12th because it's been called off. It's been called back on. The president tweeting today, great to be in Singapore. Excitement in the air. This could be huge. If there's a good agreement on the table, this could uh, open the world's last Cold War frontier. It could bring peace and end the Korean War. It could bring millions out of famine and isolation. This comes upon years of tension. And in the last year, more and more tension. Nuclear and missile tests. Last year, we realized that they were closer than we thought, than we liked, to having that ICBM capped off with a nuclear bomb reaching us. But when you take it on its face for what it really is, it doesn't seem as serious. You've got Kim Jong-un, who hasn't been taken seriously forever. You've got President Trump, who, let's face it, uh, is a reality show star. And he, the way he promotes things, this included, he knows how to promote things, I guess I should just say. He is a showman. And he knows what we it. want, sadly. There is, you know, love him or hate him, he knows how to get attention and make an entrance and so far negotiate. But I think that he does know the weight of this opportunity, that this could be a legacy-defining deal. Talk about art of the deal. If you're able to negotiate with North Korea and get them to scrap their nuclear program, that would be the deal, the deal, right? Um, an Asia expert at the John L. Thornton China Center by the name of Ryan Haas says success in Singapore would see Kim making a bold decision to exchange his nukes for economic support and security assurances. That would be great. But I don't think you spend decades building up your nuclear program for a seat at the table. And when you finally get the seat at the table, you scrap everything that got you there. Because that's what North Korea has wanted. They've wanted to be taken seriously as a world power. And Donald Trump going to Singapore to meet Kim Jong-un gives them quite a bit of weight there. I I get the feeling that Trump's going to get a win here. I think this is going to show his skills as a negotiator and his ability to uh, shake the cage in such a way and make people really go, I, I don't know which direction he's going to go. I don't think it's going to be everything. I don't think it's going to be carte blanche and, uh, all at once. But I think he's going to make some major headway, and it's going to be a huge win. And people sooner or later are going to have to start respecting his his abilities as much as they disrespect the way he does it, His you know the use of – vulgarities and 
Twitter and everything else. But I I think he'll he'll probably surprise a lot of people with pulling something off here. If he gets North Korea to pare down their nuclear program, uh, you couple that with the U.S. economy right now, he would have a very strong argument through those midterm elections and into uh, the next presidential race. It, you just can't ignore how well the economy is doing. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people are ignoring that or they're attributing it to Obama because it's, you know, five or 10 years after a president leaves office that you get to see really what their what their work laid out. But um, it, Trump said over the weekend that Kim has a one time shot to make history, which makes me think that Trump is not going to go there and just say, this is what I'd like. And you think about it and get back to me. He's going there one time, one shot to make some waves, get a result and bring it home. He said, I think Kim Jong-un wants to do something great for his people. That's a hard sell right there because Kim Jong-un has never really put his people uh, uh, first. Mike Pompeo goes on the cable shows today saying that the United States has been fooled before, that there's no doubt about it, that many presidents previously have signed off on pieces of paper only to find that the North Koreans either didn't promise what we thought they had or actually reneged on their promises. And he says that, it's going to be different this time, that the United States is not going to be fooled. Kim, by the way, is reaping the rewards. He's already taking a victory lap because he got that aforementioned uh, seat at the table. Dennis Rodman has arrived. Uh, yay. There was quite the scrum to uh, get some comments from him. Now, the president has said he's not invited. Dennis Rodman has said, uh, I, I don't intend to be at the meeting, but he's there in North Korea. And he says, I'm just happy to be part of the historic summit. I think I brought a lot of awareness to people around the world. That's what he told reporters when asked if the meeting would not have happened without him and his intervention. He does have a relationship with both, which is odd. Yeah. He said he, he went to Singapore to offer whatever support is needed. That the trip is being sponsored by his marketing team and his marijuana cryptocurrency firm. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, Potcoin or something? Something of that nature. Yeah, I, I think that's who supported. I think he tweeted that out. That thanks to uh, Potcoin, he's there to help out. Potcoin. Yeah. That's yeah. coin for pot. Kim Kim Jong Un has brought his own portable toilet to the uh, five star hotel where he's staying. Now, you like what you like, right? The toilet, which will deny sewer divers insights into the supreme leader's stools. I am not making that up. That is a quote. Okay, so originally we talked about this briefly earlier, and it was about the comfort. Like to me, I'm like, hey, right. You want to bring a little piece of home with you? Why not your toilet? Right. Some However, bring their pillow. If you're uber rich guy, you bring your toilet. But this is not even about the toilet no. as much as it is about personal security. Sewer divers. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of people diving into the sewers underneath this uh, this five star hotel, inspecting Kim Jong Un's stools, and then what? Blabbing about them? What? What kind of? Uh, what, where does that get you? What kind of cryptocurrency does that get you if you can describe Kim Jong-un's stools? They're afraid that there will be a rash of road rage where people are flinging Kim Jong-un's poop. Mm -hmm. And they want to put a stop to it post-haste. The toilet arrived in a transport plane that also carried special food and his bulletproof limousine. 
This is only the third time that he has left North Korea since assuming power in 2011. But can I tell you he that— He takes the—by t- the way, he takes the toilet wherever he goes. This is like a constant fear that they're going to have people in the sewers inspecting Kim Jong-un's poo. However, however, I think we learn more from this very act of him bringing the toilet than we ever could by sifting— through his dung, because think about this person is so afraid of someone sifting through his poop that he brings his own toilet, right? That tells us that he would sift through someone's poop to get information. Well, yeah, they say that his excretions uh, contain information about his health status. Uh, so if you if you took it to a health professional, Maybe you'd find that Kim Jong-un is suffering from some sort of illness and they don't Mm. want any health information released. He was, by the way, so paranoid over fears that his plane would be shot down that he used this ruse involving three planes taking off an hour apart from each other to keep potential spies from seeing which aircraft he was in. Maybe maybe you do a little inventory of your life at that point. You go, listen, if if people want to shoot down my plane and look through my poop, Maybe I've made some poor life decisions, and maybe I should start treating people better. See, this is how it works. I mean, don't you watch Korean dramas? Uh, I have a very quick answer to that. No. Well, in Korean dramas, you learn how susceptible the leader is and how, you know, the. and and this has happened with Kim Jong-un's own family. I mean, he's killed a, a... I believe an uncle recently. Oh yeah, he's the, the, he's the family. They they every you're not safe from from anybody taking over your power, and so th- there are very strict things that I did not know that sewer divers were concerned. That was not covered in the Korean dramas that I watched. But you have to watch your back at all times because there's always somebody that will kill you to get your power. Uh, side note: as as personal friends. When the Korean dramas do get into sewer poop divers, mm-hmm. give me give your old buddy Neil a heads up, and maybe I'll start watching them. Okay, I didn't know you were into that, but that's fine. I'm not judging. Something no, for I'm everyone. I'm not Lauren Green or anything. I'm just saying that maybe there's a that's a really obscure reference. Anywho, all I'm saying is let me know. Kim Jong Un, by the way, instead of taking the six hour usual flight pattern to Singapore, just I think flew around in circles for a while to throw people off and and. Tacked on an extra four hours to his trip to avoid anybody shooting down the plane. That's a lot of paranoia. Yeah, You're a, right. That's a tough way to live. You don't have power if the power is that delicate. If it can be taken away that quickly, it, you don't. You never had it. You That's have true. fear. That's true. Coming up next, uh, Canada is trying to bully the United States, according to the Trump administration. <laughs> How precious. Look at that. Am- sweet? America's hat is they getting all ruffled. They're too friendly to do what they did over the weekend. Uh, also, there is a man in the White House who is paid to put President Trump's papers back together after he rips them up. Oh, and Robert De Niro. Did you hear about his hijinks over the weekend? He's we'll lost it. We'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon with Neil Saavedra. Gary and Shannon. Breaking news that sports betting is in New Jersey now. The governor is signing a bill today that legalizes wagering. Gambling could start later this week, just in time for the start of the World Cup. What a failure, by the way. 
of the United States not getting into the World Cup. Is this the 10th year? But that is going to be huge. I wonder what other states will follow suit opening up all that sports betting. It's going to be something special. You're going to be betting from your phone while you're in an event. Going to blow it wide open. It'll change how Conway does his show. Conway won't do his show anymore. Okay? He's was, not going to have time for that. He'll tape it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, White House officials lashed out at Justin Trudeau, leader of Canada. This is, of course, one of our best friends, right, Canada? You can never get mad at a Canadian. Well, we did. This was all about the G7 economic summit with uh, with all our allies. And it looks like Trump left early, all right? And after he left, Justin Trudeau said that Canada would be forced to retaliate for U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum. What do you think that looks like, retaliation from Canada? Are they going to stop sending comedians over here, or what? They're not going to let us watch reruns of Kids in the Hall? Trudeau said he would not agree to a sunset provision in a new NAFTA, and uh, the White House saw that as a a stab in the back and went even further. A White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro, said on Fox News Sunday— He said this, there's a special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him in the back on the way out the door. Pretty bold. Pretty damn bold. It's a dark statement. And that is a dark statement. Yeah, Yeah. that is rhetoric. That is North Korean uh, Kim Jong-un rhetoric right there. But Trudeau, really, the timing of it is curious. Well, because wanted... it's really a, a, a slap before he goes on the public stage again sure. for something huge. Right. It was Justin Trudeau putting it out on the table, you know? Putting, just, putting, putting what out? You know what he's putting out on the table. What, like, uh You know, I, I'm Canada. tired of being called like, a friendly Canadian. Uh, you've got a buffoon in the White House down there, and I'm going to get headlines for it on, on, the, uh, on the eve of this North Korean summit in Singapore. He's putting the poutine on the table, huh? Isn't that French fries? Uh, Covered in gravy and cheese curd. There is a guy at the White House who makes more than 65 grand as a records management analyst. He has worked for the government for 30 years. I mean, he is seasoned. Do you know what his job is now? His job is now taking the pieces of torn up documents and putting them back together because they're supposed to be preserved. He has spent uh, months in the old executive office building standing over a desk with scraps of paper spread out in front of him. This is all to put the president's papers back together again. Yeah, because important papers obviously have to go into the archives. Legal requirements. They have to protect them. Um, uh, And uh, the strange thing about this is... Handle kind of is like this. When yeah. he's done with something, it either gets thrown away or torn up. Yeah. You know, Sometimes it, both. Handle and Trump have some similarities um, when it comes to ripping things up and, you know, getting their way. Yeah. It's uh, strangely <laughs> enough, when I, I met Donald Trump years ago uh, with Handel. Oh, Handel really? was going to interview him, and uh, it was just me. Um, Trump, Handel, and Trump's bodyguard. How'd that go? 
Uh, I feel like you're you have more to say, but you're not saying it. It was interesting. Yeah. See. He's everything you'd expect, and less. Okay. But I, I, well, I, you know, I will say this: that there, there are people that are in, that get to that place in life. They are very good at what they do, and once it's done and it's off their table, they they want it done. They're they're checking things off, right? right, right. They don't want that in their brain anymore. And I don't think I, I don't know what they're trying to make of this. They, Publishing this story in Politico, I don't. I don't know what they're trying to make of it. Well, but they're trying obviously... to get him to appear like a toddler. But he's you know? not. Like he's, he's, a... A, he's like, okay, I'm done with this. He's a, but he's a professional man who doesn't want to deal with things once they're done. I think it's ridiculous that There's they try, that they have to tape them together. There's but... different rules for the business world or the radio world, and yes, the rules absolutely. that you have to follow under the Presidential Records Act. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> you know? And I thought about that. It's like. You know, I get the impression from what I've read about Obama that he was very much understood the weight of the position and and that things had to be documented. Yes. You know, here you have to keep these things. People are going to want to know. He documented uh, things that he documented. To yeah, document them. exactly. Whereas Trump is like, done, next, and on to the next thing. And, and everyone's going, oh, you, you know, we legally we legally have to keep that note. And it has to go into the archives. Coming up next, Market Mondays. Rebecca Jarvis joins us. How will this summit affect the markets? We'll get a look when we come back to Gary and Shannon. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640. Hey, don't forget, Friday, come join us at the Slide Bar in Fullerton. We will be there for our News and Brews event First one, really, of the summer will be out there 10 to 2. They've got $5 craft pints, craft beer pints. It's going to be a fun time. Slide Bar, Fullerton, this Friday, 10 to 2. We're talking about this summit between Kim Jong-un and President Trump. Brian Suits weighed in on Twitter. He said, uh, to put it simply, Trump offers nothing that Kim needs. They've come this far as a pariah state. He wants to know how badly Trump needs a win and what he'll give for it. And if that is the case, then Kim Jong-un will probably be walking away empty-handed. Rebecca Jarvis joins us at this time every Monday for Market Mondays. Rebecca, how are you? Hey, Shannon. How are you? I'm excellent. So how do you think or do you think this summit in Singapore is going to affect the markets? Well, I think it's notable that, first of all, the markets today ended at their highest level since March. We're now 4% away on the Dow from the all-time record highs. But if you look at what happened just today, by the end of trading, the Dow had given up most of the gains. And what I think that signifies from um, the traders and investors I've been talking to is this idea that while there might not be great expectations. People want to be very careful going into this summit. And what comes out of this conversation could, it, it might dramatically change people's impression, whether, um, you know, they're buyers or sellers in this market. But right now, I think if you purely look at today's trading action, coming in this morning, things were looking higher. It was a stronger day throughout. Not a really strong day, but stronger, and things kind of traded off towards the end of, of the trading session. So I think that's that's a, a, a visualization of the trepidation going into this meeting. I've got a question for you because you're always so great at being unbiased. 
Oh, thank you. Uh, um, the economy is a big topic of conversation right now because it's doing so well, um, because the markets look so great, because unemployment's at what, 3.8%. And some people will say, well, that that's uh, the, the, the reason the, the markets are doing so great, that's still Obama. That, that's who, you can thank Obama for that. And then some people will say, oh, the, the, the unemployment rate is so low, 3.8%, but that's because people quit looking for work. Is it that both camps are a little bit right, or is Where's the well, where's the truth in there? It's actually interesting. I've looked at research that that shows that who is in office actually has very little to do with what happens to the stock market. So while we feel a lot of comfort around whoever is our party or I our guy or girl in in the office, there's a feeling of oh, of course that's the one who made it all. Uh, the way that it is. But there are so many different factors. And and frankly, at this point, the entire uh, world economy is a factor. If you look at the world economy um, over the last year and a half, things have been pretty dramatically improving around the globe. And that's useful. But I would also argue that, uh, you know, if you talk to companies, there are definitely companies that are making different choices now based on the regulations that they're facing, um, based on the fact that uh, they're paying a lower tax rate. And those are things that weigh both on hiring as well as the stock price. So the argument could be made that both presidents had a played a role in what we're seeing. And frankly, what we're seeing at this point is 92 straight months of job gains. So both presidents have job gains on their watch. What are, what are these central bank meetings that are happening this week? Can you explain those and, and, and what impact yeah. those are said to have? Sure. So central banks are, I would argue central banks actually have played a more critical role in the, if you look at the actual stock markets around the globe, central banks, in my opinion, have played an even greater role than any public policy. And that's because if you look at what the Federal Reserve, which is the U.S.'s central bank, there is the European Central Bank, that's the European Union, um, Bank of Japan has one, the Bank of England has one. All of these banks are controlling monetary policy. And what that means is they're setting interest rates for their countries. And they're also doing what we know in the United States is quantitative easing. So in the crisis, when everything was going to hell and everything was falling to zero, the central banks stepped in. Ours did. Other European central banks stepped in and they said, okay, everyone, the value of all the assets in the world are not going to drop to zero. We're going to step in and we're going to create a floor so that instead of falling to zero, they're going to fall, but it's not going to be as dire. Of Of course, it wasn't great. Things got really bad for a while. But the idea of what these central banks have done, it's acted as somewhat of a training wheel for our economy as well as for the world economy. And here we are in this moment in time, the way that 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 system works is the training wheels have to come off the bike at some point. And we're at this point now where they've been coming off here in the United States. They're coming off throughout parts of Europe. And so this moment where we were sort of coasting along for many years here and elsewhere, there's uh, always been this underlying fear that, okay, well, once the training wheels come off the bike, are we really capable of cycling down the street comfortably without crashing? And that's been one of the fundamental questions of this recovery. Um, And and that's part of why I say that I think the Federal Reserve and the central banks have had 
so much to do. Also, in making interest rates lower, they've made it cheaper for people to borrow, which so that might mean more people buy houses, more people buy cars, more people expand businesses. It's also made it easier for, for example, a hedge fund to go out and buy stocks or for a company to buy back their own stock. All of those things have led towards the market improving. So generally, yeah, that makes more sense that that would have a bigger impact than who's in office. But I can't help myself. This is like I, I care a lot about this stuff. Um, Elon Musk and the flamethrowers. I wanted to talk to you about that. And we also <laughs> wanted to talk to you about this Bitcoin hacking. Can you hang on and we'll yes. uh, do that when we come back? Let's do it. Rebecca Jarvis is the best. She joins us on Mondays for Market Mondays here and more with her when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Neil Saavedra in for Hoffman today. And I want to feel something Gary and Shannon, Neil Saavedra in for Hoffman today. Yeah, I got to tell you the story about how half my family almost got wiped out by a bear uh, over the weekend. Oh, yeah, you do. We'll do that. Uh, Tim Conway is also going to come on the show and talk to us about the uh, Belmont Stakes controversy over Justify. I think it, it, it should not be a controversy at all and let Justify have his day. But, you know, people are just sour sallies sometimes when they lose. Rebecca Jarvis is with us right now for Market Mondays. And Elon Musk actually did produce those flamethrowers that he talked about in January. Yes. 1,000 deliveries were made on Saturday for customers that showed up um, at the company's headquarters in Hawthorne, California. They paid 500 bucks a pop for the flamethrowers. Um, that terrified me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. People wandering down the streets with the flamethrowers. Why? What, what could po- Rebecca, what possibly could go wrong right. in Southern California with an open flame? Seriously. Um, yeah, I don't even want to, let's not tempt fate here, but I do think that, um, the, uh, the less than serious terms and conditions that Elon Musk tweeted, um, there is a required, I will not use this in a house. I will not point this at my spouse. I will not use this in an unsafe way. The best use is creme brulee. <laughs> but from the pictures of this thing, you don't want to use it on your creme brulee either. No. that creme would... brulee will be a burnt crisp. It would have to be the size of a manhole cover uh, for it to be. <laughs> you know what's weird? It's just like the beginning to me is like the first step towards us instituting a purge. Yes. Like the movie. Oh, like no. this is, like I do th- too. This just seems like. When I heard it, it, like everyone else, I I thought it was absurd. I said they got to be be joking. Now, when I saw the flamethrower, it's not exactly what you think of if you've ever seen a real f- flamethrower, uh, which spews out, you know, almost liquid flame uh, at at far distances. This has like a two foot flame. A two foot flame can do the some pictures, harm. Yes, the pictures are pretty wild, though. I'm yeah. looking at this picture. I mean, unless this is just a made-for-Instagram photo, the guy who's, um, I mean... He's, In front of the boring company sign? Yeah, he looks maniacal. He's yeah. built like a brick house, too. I mean, that's a good Instagram photo. I like how the devices are uh, n- are called not a flamethrower. Yeah, exactly. 20000 were sold. They raised $10 million in total. And there's... Um, there was a California state legislators last month 
were looking at legislation around them that would have required a safety warning, and they shelved it. Hmm. That's typical. That's typical. California, you know. They were busy, I guess. No, that's not it. They were not busy. They will get. They will write. They will make. I'm, I'm hearing you, Shannon. Whenever, whenever anything is, by, they will get rid of plastic straws. Right. They, they did. will. They will. Pay, oh. People have to come home yeah. from vacation to meet. Yeah. They will get it done in an hour. Uh, but you can have uh, drone flame regulations, flamethrower yeah. yeah. regulations, uh, things that matter, and it just doesn't. They're get like, done. we're going to get to it, but thank God there's no plastic straws anywhere. But homeless people right. litter the streets. It's funny. I I was actually in California. Shannon knows this because I came to visit, and there was a straw served to me in L.A. <gasps> really? You guys are allowed to do that? And you didn't ask for it? But no, I didn't. They should I be didn't. written up. But I, t- I told them I do love a straw, so. I yeah. do, too, and I'll tell you something, Rebecca. This is kind of a uh, – it may be the wave of the future. Yes. There are reusable pocket stainless steel straws that fold down that mm-hmm. I'm starting to see marketed. Are you going to carry one? I I feel go? stupid. I've I, seen those. <laughs> I mean, at least if you carry a flask, you've, you've got a little panache. It's like, hey, that guy carries a flask. But a straw? Mm. Well, and the problem is, is those glasses at restaurants look so damn dirty, you know, yeah. and, you're, and you're putting your mouth on you there, put but, on it, but at least you're saving the animals in the ocean, you know? I mean, you think about that every time you put your mouth on that dirty glass. How about throw, <laughs> how about throw them away? Yeah. How about throw them away? How about throw away? Yeah, throw, throw away <laughs> the straw or recycle the straw or what have you. Treat people like adults instead of, you know. I cut, hey, I cut those little, the ring things that go around my six pack so that the dolphins yeah. don't die. Yeah. Good. Good. That was, I remember when I learned that as a kid and that really upset me. And so I always made sure to do that. That's why they give you that lesson when you're like eight, you know, exactly. so that you remember All it. should be given when you're young. I have a friend who's a mom and her kids order constantly on Amazon. And she said the only way she got them to stop is when she explained to them that all of that packaging um, was environmentally unsustainable. And so they finally decided to forego their constant Amazon shopping because I guess every kid gets gift cards to Amazon now for every birthday party. I didn't know this, but apparently that's the way it is. Gosh, think about all the money we could have saved shopping for, you know, shoes and things if only we were told when we were eight that shopping kills animals. <laughs> Yeah, every time you get a box with that smile on it, an animal a, dies. A little puppy dies, yeah. and then the I kid's like, "What?" I I kind of feel like there's some new legislation coming that might answer to this. I think so, um, Rebecca. What is coming up on No Limits, the podcast? All right, so um, this week we have Brooklyn Decker model, actress Brooklyn Decker, who has teamed up with um, an anchor named Whitney Casey, a news anchor named Whitney Casey, and they've created a new app called Finery. And Finery is pretty interesting because it takes all of your clothing, your entire closet, and it organizes it for you and will make recommendations around the outfits that you uh, already have in your closet. It's kind of like a clueless closet. I was just going to say, this is the Alicia Silverstone thing that she had. Yeah, exactly. But it's actually real now. And it's a fun, interesting conversation about how they built this, how they've answered customers. Um, They talk about sometimes walking into the venture capitalists when they went out to get funding and some of the 
crazy things that venture capitalists said to them early on in the journey. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a really fun episode. They're both very honest about the whole experience of building the company. And um, Brooklyn talks a lot about what it's like being a mom and, and doing this company, but also how she was pretty underestimated early on. Um, but that actually in modeling, she felt like they treated her even worse than the venture capitalists did. Like, she wasn't crying about it. She wasn't, you know, I, I don't mean to put words in her mouth, but she talks about how for her what was interesting is to go from modeling where she felt like she really was treated as an object to all of a sudden watch, walking into a venture capitalist office and um, getting a little bit more respect than that. I love the stories you tell on that podcast. How can how can people find it again? Give us a so um, it's if you wherever you listen to your podcast, you go on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. It's No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis podcast. So really wherever, or I post links to it all the time on my Instagram and my Twitter and everywhere I live. I am at Rebecca Jarvis. So everywhere in social media, I am at Rebecca Jarvis. And I appreciate you, Shannon. Thank you. Of course, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you uh, next Monday. Sounds great. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Todd, Tom, Tom, Tom Conway Jr. Tom Conway Jr. Wow. Maybe that's a brother? I think I was anticipating the on in Conway, and that's where that came from. Oh, no. I think you have a belly full of pomegranate margaritas. (laughs) Tim Conway Jr. joins us coming back all about the Belmont controversy. Or was it? I think I'm going to call baloney on this controversy. Gary and Shannon, Neil Savedra in for Hoffman. Gary and Shannon, Neil Savedra in for Hoffman today. He will be back at some point this week. Come hang out with us on Friday at our News and Brews event. It's going to be at the Slide Bar in Fullerton, 10 to 2. Be there. It's going to be $5 craft beer pints. It's just going to be a great time. It always is there. Well, well, well. It was such a feel-good story. And you know what? It should stay a feel-good story. Justify, the only undefeated Triple Crown champion, of course, after Seattle slew, 13th horse overall, to complete the rare sweep that is the Triple Crown win. Apparently, people were very sour with this win over the weekend, so now they're trying to sully it. And Oh. Yeah, exactly. To set the record straight, we brought on our friend and special guest, Tim Conway Jr. Uh, Ding dong with you. Ding dong with you. Hey, I... Uh, Shannon, glad to have you back. Where were you? Where'd you go to town? I went to Tahoe, and uh, half my family almost got wiped out by a bear. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Did you win? Did you gamble? I, I, you gambled. I gambled. Uh, I uh, did not win, Tim. I went to the Mont Bleu in South Shore, where I lost. Did you gamble every night? Yeah. Uh, well, we yeah, went during right? the daytime, but yes. I thought he was asking okay, if you were betting night. on the bear. No. No. When you say it would change my life if sports began, if, uh, gambling became legal, yet you're in a casino every day. I know. It would change both of our lives. I guess I just omitted that second part. That's exactly right. Hey, all right, let's get back to this race. First of all, um, it, it, you know, NASCAR is a team sport. So is running. So is uh, bicycling. You know, all these team sports. And horse racing 
is a, also a team sport. And God bless get Bob Baffert. If he was able to pull that other horse up there, Rising Hope, wherever the stupid name was on this horse, and able to sit him off justifies uh, rear right, then God bless him for doing that and all the power to him. So, but yeah, you can't control those horses out there. Let me just say that uh, Restoring Hope is the, uh, the horse in question here. This is a 37 right. to 1 odds horse. And they're saying that, that Baffert used Restoring Hope as an offensive lineman to pave the way for Justify to barrel through the line as the running back and, and score. And that that right. somehow and I, and is wrong. I, I, I 100% believe he did it, and I 100% support it. If you look at the race, um, that 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 horse with the pink on, uh, he has the, the you know the pink silks. He's sitting right off of Justify, and every time somebody tries to pass Justify, he he takes the horse's head and he turns it towards Justify and prevents any of the horses from flying by him. And and I have more respect for Bob Baffert if he did do that than if he wouldn't have done it. Yeah, to be able to train a horse to do that? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, Pop Baffert came from the quarter horse business. So he knows that if you stick a horse in there that can go three quarters of a mile full speed to keep up with Justify, and then he's going to have a heart attack and he's going to end up coming. I think that, that horse came in last or second to last. Um, but but if, 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 if Bob Baffert was able to do that and he thought about it and he, and he uh, you know conspired to do the whole thing, then God bless him. Were you out there at the race? You know, I wasn't. I was at home because I was doing. Uh, I had to go to Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, invited me to do a fly a fly around. You know, with the helicopters, I ride along in the helicopters, and I had to be there at four thirty. So I couldn't make it from Santa Anita to downtown Los Angeles. Wait a minute here. I'm going to pull the car over for a second here. Uh, <laughs> Tim Conway Jr. In my opinion, is uh, the ambassador of, of horse racing. Okay. This is a guy who took me out to the track uh, uh, five or six years ago, and I I had such a great day out there that I moved there. I moved (laughs) to the track. I I live within five minutes of the track. I thought I was going to take you to the track and you would enjoy yourself. I didn't realize you were going to move your house next to the track. Yeah, that happened. Um, And so when when you tell me that you missed the Belmont Stakes and this Triple Crown win, I got to believe that you really do love the police as much as you say you do on the show. I mean, that, that well, that's I, number one right there. That's a huge priority problem. If you're going to go up for a ride-along in the helicopters and we've got a potential triple crown happening and you choose the police over, over Justify. Yeah, well, there's, uh, it, it, the lines are so long for the carved sandwiches out there on a big day that it's not worth it. And, and let's face it, a, a horse is never going to get you out of a ticket. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, and look, I wanted to be—I wanted to be in the helicopter and see the disaster that was going to be that gay pride party where they had forty thousand people and then a hundred—not a hundred thousand people showed up to get in. I wanted to see that from overhead. See what that looked like. What did it look like? It was a chaos. It was uh, unbelievable. And people were pissed. You know, they bought tickets for this thing. They couldn't get in. About the carved sandwiches, uh, they yeah. are delicious. If you if you put some of that horseradish on there that they've got, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't usually like to put horseradish on anything at the racetrack. Well, I'm not sure where it came from. Yeah. Did no. you have any money on uh, any of the horses? Yes, I had forty five bets through for the entire day, totaling about one hundred and fifty bucks. You know how many? I, I how many tickets I cashed. Zero. Well, Zero. That's, that was kind of this is what makes me believe that 
justified wins is if did if you bet on him, then I would say that there was something hinky going on if he won. If you Listen, didn't, if bet- I wanted to. Neil, if, if I wanted to, I could have killed that horse by betting $2 to win. And I chose not to. It's true. Good for you. Because I love the sport more than I love my $2 bets. It's true. He would... hey, can, can I mention real quickly, uh, Robert De Niro's coming on with us tonight to explain what he did at the Tony. No so way. At 6 o'clock. Are you serious right now? Yeah. Well, look, he's, he's married to a black woman, right? And, you know, you, you can't... Uh, walk around the house with a Make America Great hat on again and uh, hope to uh, have a great relationship. So he's got to go overboard the other way. All right, Robert De Niro, 6 o'clock. Uh, Tim well, Con- not 6 o'clock. Oh. And, and, and don't and, and look, if the guy who's calling doesn't sound exactly like De Niro, I, it's De Niro. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> have a great time. Good with you guys. Hey, thanks for breaking that down for us. You're the best. <laughs> Tim Conway Jr. right there, forty-five bets, not one ticket cashed in. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty big spread across a. Uh, this is the thing I don't understand. That's like like, like every black and red space on a roulette wheel, and then it comes up double lot. Yeah. Um, and and this is what I understand about Conway and his. Uh, and again, I'm not judging. I am a gambler as well, but he seems to lose a lot. You know, he seems to lose more than than the average uh, gambler does. I don't hear a lot of success stories from him. You know, Michelle Cube, she has success stories. She posted a ticket, a printout from a slot machine. I think she played the pennies and the quarter slot machines. I think it was like $659.31. She, she I mean, wins I almost it. every time she, she plays. She wins every time. So I can understand her going out to the casinos all the time. Conway, myself, I don't get it as much. I don't get it as much. How much luck do you guys need? By the way, when the fun stops, 1-800-GAMBLING. We'll just throw that in there. Is that the actual tagline, or are you just throwing no, that that's, out? No, that's the actual tagline. When the fun stops? Yeah. So if the fun's keep, if fun keeps happening... If you're then, Michelle Cube, you keep playing. Yeah, okay. You know? It's a good message. It is. Coming up next, e-cigarettes are, uh, are offering scholarships. This is the next generation of uh, tobacco company advertising. It is... Creative as hell. Sneaky as hell. What you need to know when we come back. Gary and Shannon. Neil in for Hoffman. Gary and Shannon. Neil Saavedra in today. And tomorrow. And Hoffman's back on Wednesday, I believe. Unless he's not going to come home. Maybe he just uh, puts down stakes there. Lives uh, with the monkeys in Costa Rica. I'm going to leave my uh, bird shirt here, and I'm going to see how many Gary Hoffmans you could fit in my one bird shirt. I think we could probably t- put two and a half, well, three Hoffmans in here. And he slimmed down before the vacation. He stopped Why? eating uh, sugar. He didn't. He did. He would not eat any sugar for like uh, a month or two. Or Why? Because he was going to have. I don't. A know, he Snickers wanted to. Bar he, I think. He, I think it's because he wanted to look good in his base uh, bathing suit outfit. Hotsy totsy. Yeah. If you. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. He shopped for bathing suits extensively before he left. I'd look over and he'd have different swim trunks and things. Like a speedo or something. 
Um, he did explore that option, but I don't think he went with it ultimately. He said he had one swim trunks that hit just at the knee and then another uh, pair that hit a couple inches above the knee. So depending on those are on coming back mood, though. Those are coming back though. The Larry board, uh, Larry Bird shorts. The short, the shorter mm-hmm. shorts are coming back. Not those past the knee business that make me look like a gangster every time I wear them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the Dickies. Oh yeah, when I wear Dickies, it's yeah. uh, on a weekend I get second looks from cops. That's not true. Is oh it true? sure. Oh. Yeah. Vaping. Are you a vapor? Oh hell no. No. Uh, not a cigarette smoker. Not a vapor. Uh, I smoked for a number of years, and it's uh, real difficult to quit that stuff. You know, it's a funny thing about nicotine. Well, it, it looks... kind of grabs your yeah. soul and doesn't it let go. It kind of grabs your soul in t- until you're smoking in a dark alley because of shame. What helped you quit? I did the patch. Yeah? I used the patch to quit. And you just step down? Mm-hmm. Like it slowly steps down? Yep. Good for you. Thank you. Uh, there is a growing number of e-cigarette and vape sellers that have started offering college scholarships. This way they get their brands listed on university websites. And what happens is they get students to write essays about the potential benefits of vaping. That's disgusting. This tactic has landed vaping brands on sites of some of the nation's best universities, including Harvard. The scholarships range from 250 bucks to five grand, and most involve uh, essay contests that ask students to write about the dangers of tobacco or whether vaping could be a safer alternative. Isn't that clever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can talk about tobacco all you want, but why don't you talk about vaping, too, which is much better for you? The problem with this is that federal rules forbid tobacco and e-cigarette companies from marketing to minors. We saw these changes happen as the tobacco industry was was crumbling, uh, or was it? You know, this seems to be like the resurgence. And what a clever tactic. The, the problem, too, is that high schools are struggling with kids using these vaping devices. Um, they've had to put in place suspensions. They uh, put in alarms that can detect the device's discrete vapor. Federal agencies have attempted to crack down on underage sales, investigating marketing efforts. You know what? I have an idea. What? I think if we could somehow prove that vaping harms animals. Oh. Or if you if. Or that it's bullying. Or that people throw away their vaping, their e-cigs, and they get caught up in the ocean or they become, Mm -hmm. I think California would ban them. The fact that they kill children, I don't think is a problem. California is totally good with killing children. What they have a problem with is if you have a plastic straw and it gets on the street. It hurts the turtles. Well, yeah, and I don't want to hurt the turtles either. But I'm just saying that you have to backdoor these things. You start throwing those things in, you know, sewers and things like that. that, And they get cut up. And you will, in 10 minutes... Those things will be banned. That really is a great opposition tactic for California. Of course. You just have to you have to show how how it somehow um, takes away the rights of animals. Like if I if I did a, a, an ad campaign against John and Ken, I would just say John and Ken bad for turtles. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's hyperbole. I'm pretty sure that John and Ken are bad for turtles.
marketing experts say that the those ba- turtles come here and they take American turtles jobs, and it's just not right. They come here and they're little turtle faces, and they take all those American turtle jobs, and it's got to stop. Right this instant. Marketing experts say the vaping industry is not the first to use these college scholarships. The Internet, because of the wonderful place that it is, is overflowing with similar offers from websites that sell weight loss pills, protein power, uh, powders, payday lenders, and companies that pay ga- cash for gold. So you can have you know, your kid write an essay about how great weight loss pills are, or I mean how bad they are for you. you know, it's funny. Many, many years ago during the Tim and Neil show days uh, in the late 90s here at KFI, I was asked to endorse uh, a weight loss product, yeah, and I said no, and I said I won't. This was it was a horrible product. It was silly, and they said, "Oh, come on, just try it and see if it works." And I said, "I'll tell you what, I'm going to do exactly what it says on the bottle, but with water, and if I have the same results with water, the same amount of water, then I will not do it." And sure enough, I had the exact same results with water than I did with the product. And then they, uh, less than a year later, that product got nailed by, like, the Trade Commission or something. And uh, The weight loss stuff is is nuts. I mean, I remember taking, I forget what the, it was at the time, but I want to say it was, like, the late 90s, maybe early thousands. And it was a, a pill that was all the rage or whatever. I took one one time, and it just made you It's like insane. speed or something? Yeah, it was insane. It was crazy. I don't know how people function on that stuff. Uh, don't take this wrong, but how do you know when you, for instance, are crazy and or insane? Right. I don't need that. I'm already there is what I'm saying. You know? All right. John and Ken coming up next. Gary and Shannon, Neil in for Gary one more, maybe one more day. I yeah, don't know. I'm back I don't tomorrow. know if we'll be allowed to be back together tomorrow. We'll see what happens. <laughs> what is management going to do? Tell me no. Stay dry, everybody. <laughs> Tune in next week for the hilarious funeral episode on Gary and Shannon.